you know, I had never been part of a show house before, but the fact that I created my own sort of launched me into this whole sort of situation that I did not expect. So you think you can put together a show house? Well, they're no joke. And today, Marilyn Damore tells us all about them. Have you hit a wall when it comes to growing your interior design business? Then welcome to Wingnut Social, the podcast specifically designed to accelerate your business through increased social media presence, impactful online content, and translating industry experience into physical success. This is your design business, tightly fastened. Now welcome the hosts of Wingnut Social, Darla Powell and Natalie Graff. Hey there, and welcome to the Wingnut Social Podcast. I'm your host, the Grand High Poobah of all things Wingnut, Darla Crunk Powell. And I'm joined by Natalie Doodle Graff. Crunk. What the heck is crunk? Crunk is a form of uh, music that I was jamming out to before the show. And let me tell you, I'm hyped up. I'm ready to go. You don't know what crunk is? You ever heard of crunk? No. Didn't you watch So You Think You Can Dance with me that had that whole category of crunk? Um, it's really good. It's nasty. It's like stank. It's got hair on it. It's really like. It's good. It gets you motivated. It's really, I love it. Okay. Not as much as house music, which is my usual go-to, but it it, it works in a pinch. Sure. Natalie, your middle name is Doodle today. Why is that? Because I doodle while I do podcasts. She does. She doodles while she does the podcast, and it doesn't mean she doesn't love you guys. It just, that's how her little mind works. That's how she thinks, and I get that. Yeah, it keeps my mind open. It keeps it relaxed, and I can listen, and I... Your mind might be a little too relaxed, though. I just want to make sure we're not... I'm not drinking, so... (laughs) We're not overcompensating on that. Sparkly water is all I got. (laughs) Natalie, Valentine's Day is Friday. I know, and guess where I'll be? Well, at a nice restaurant, probably Chef Adrian's, eating a nice steak with me and a a bottle Mm. of wine. Nope, sorry. What are we doing for Valentine's? I'm going to be at the fire station with my work husband. Well, that's romantic. Isn't it? I know. I get to spend <laughs> Valentine's Day with him. I'm sure his wife feels the same way. Well, maybe she and I can hang out. Very old. Oh, Shall I give me a call? What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Let's share chocolates. Yeah. There you, why not? <laughs> Scott and I'll come get you too if you get too drunk. Don't worry. We'll bring the fire truck uh, and come get you guys. All right. Well, that's good. That would good. be hilarious, That actually. would be funny. Can we ride on the ladder? <laughs> Our truck doesn't have a ladder. Can you send a different truck? <laughs> <laughs> sure. We'd like one with a ladder, please. Okay. All right, before we get started into this amazing show with another amazing Wingnut guest, let's just clear housekeeping really quickly. On the last episode, we told you I would be appearing at PodFest in Orlando. That's March 6th through the 8th in Orlando, Florida, and also appearing at Star Wars Land in Disney World. No, Darla, it's not Star Wars Land at Disney World. You will also be appearing March 11th at the Brookshire Hathaway. Brookshire, isn't it Berkshire? Brookshire, yes. Burke. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Yes. The Berkshire Hathaway Homes, darling. You're going to be in Coral Gables that night talking all about social media and why it's important for your business. You better better. imagine that. I guess I should study up on that topic, huh? Yeah. You better actually like know these slides. Yeah, guys, these are, these are Florida events though. Coral Gables is a suburb of Miami and Orlando, Florida. If you guys don't know where that is, you might want to crawl out of your cave. There you go. Look it up in the show notes, wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. All the deets will be there. Hope to see you. Please stop on by and throw some tomatoes at me. Natalie, today's guest is super freaking fascinating. I really cannot wait to find out the method behind her madness in why the hell she decided to create her own damn show house. It's pretty genius. And of course, we're talking about today's guest, Marilyn Damore. For those of you who are uninitiated, let me tell you just a little bit about her. After many years working in marketing, business development, and public relations for firms including Deloitte, Ernst & Young, PwC, and Accenture, Marilyn Damore returned to school to study interior design at Parsons, ooh, that's impressive, the new school for design, and eventually co-founded a full-service design build firm, Damore Drake, with business partner Fred Drake. In 2018, Marilyn developed Kingston Design Connection to connect Hudson Valley designers to each other, to potential clients, and to the growing design scene in Kingston. Kingston Design Connection hosted its very first design show house in October 2018, and it included 10 interior designers, over 45 Hudson Valley makers, and over 50 local design build companies. The 2019 show house brought together 17 interior designers and over 180 makers, artists, and tradespeople across the Hudson Valley. 
So let's find out if she's crazy or brilliant. <laughs> I'm leaning along the lines of brilliant. I, I am too. I'm fascinated. This is crazy. And I'll, you're I'll, the crazy one. I'll, I'll, yeah, well, yeah. Well, you know what? People aren't together by accident. But I'll tell you, I have a little fantasy of kind of doing my own show house. So guess what? Ellen Danick, prepare the booze. Drink up. Wingnuts, help me in welcoming Marilyn Demore to the podcast. Hey there, Marilyn Demore. Welcome to the podcast. How the hell are you? Hi there. Thank you guys for having me on. Of course. When my producer, Karina Jones, told me all about you and your story, I said, I must have you on the podcast to discuss show houses because it's a little secret fantasy of mine to kind of start one. Don't tell anybody. No way. So I want to know how crazy you have to be to start a show house. (laughs) (laughs) So before we get into that, I did tell the listeners a little bit about it, but just walk us through just really quickly about your show house, what it is, where it is, and then we'll dive in. Okay, sounds good. So I created the Kingston Design Show House two years ago. I moved up to the Hudson Valley, which is where Kingston is, from Brooklyn about four years ago. I'm an interior designer, and I run with my partner an interior design and construction business. And after three years of doing really well on the construction side and just struggling on the interior design side, I decided that I had to do something really sort of big and interesting and different to get our name out there as our interior design side of the practice. One of the things about the Hudson Valley that's really great is there's just a ton of design events all over the place. But what I wasn't seeing was something that would bring all the people together that work in our design field. So interior designers, landscape designers, architects, various makers, furniture makers, et cetera. And so I came up with the idea of putting together a show house that would primarily, in the beginning, it was all about me needing to meet all these people so I could start getting the word out about our business. And then it turned into a full-fledged show house, which we're in our second year this year. That is incredible. When you started this, did you have any inkling or any idea or any of the even the slightest hope that maybe it could turn into a show house or was it just kind of an organic happening? You know, the show house really for me was meant to be a one-off marketing effort. You know, thinking back on it, it's pretty crazy that I, that I decided to do something so huge as sort of a, you know, a one-off marketing <laughs> effort. <laughs> but it didn't start out that way. It actually started out with me thinking, I'm going to do a pop-up like weekend long, you know, sort of design installation where I could bring together yeah. all these various folks. And then the more I started talking to people about it and really hearing from so many people, because before I started the show house, I must have interviewed hundreds of makers and designers and artists. Wow. And in talking to them, I kept hearing all the time over and over that though the Hudson Valley is full of creative people and it's become very well known as a place, you know, with a growing body of artists and designers up here. But the people who work up here don't know each other. And so we have all these amazing designers who don't know each other, who don't collaborate on projects, who don't connect. And part of it is just that this region is just really, really huge. And so it just kind of works out that people tend to work in various pockets. And so once I started to realize that it wasn't just me that was having a hard time creating this network, that it was a bunch of people, that's when it started growing. Because then I started thinking, well, I want to start to engage you know, many more of us to really kind of have an impact. Because if I'm going to do it, I might as well, you know, make it a valuable experience, right? (laughs) So that's kind of how the whole thing started. Go big or go home, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So we've had guests on the podcast previously. We've had Corey Damon Jenkins, and we've discussed show houses and on how important they are for interior designers and gaining exposure, broadening their reach, and the networking, which I heard you say, which really took that off in my mind. And also Sasha Bykoff, who got her career super, right? Yeah, we just interviewed her at uh, High Point at Curry & Company. We have a, a live podcast episode with her, which you guys can find in the show notes. Just talk to us about what a catalyst that was for her career, not that she was doing badly before, but that really just launched her into the stratosphere. So yeah, I'm sure you would agree with that show house as being very important for interior designers. So before we get into the logistics of creating one. Yeah, what, before yeah. we get into any of that and the catalyst in your career and the networking and the blah, 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 how the heck do you find a house? Hey, let's make this a show house. <laughs> that should be the number one burning question. Okay, wait, I know mind. you're dying to find out there. But before we get into that, you would agree with that statement from Sasha and Corey Damon, right? Absolutely. I'm going to agree with that one. Not you. <laughs> oh. Marilyn. I'm totally happy just chilling. 
chilling and listening to you guys. You guys are so hilarious. <laughs> well, thank you for that. But that's <laughs> okay, Marilyn. I'm very sorry. Go ahead. There's been lots of interesting things that have happened as a result of the show house. And I'm just kind of trying to take it all in strides because it keeps morphing and changing in very unexpected ways. But to your point about sort of getting yourself out there, this is the second year of the show house. And I'm a relatively new interior designer. I finished school about four years ago. And so I have a handful of projects. But as a young designer, you're not really getting in national design magazines. Show houses are not calling you and asking you to participate or not, you know, because those things are really sort of reserved for people who are more established. Exactly. So you just make your own. (laughs) So that's what it is. And that's the funny thing because, you know, I had never been part of a show house before. But the fact that I created my own sort of launched me into this whole sort of situation that I did not expect. So after the show house the first year, a very well-known publicist, Andrew Joseph, who has a PR firm in the city, and he does, he, he focuses on design and architecture. And he came to me and he said, I love what you're doing. I'd love to be your publicist. And it was just the funniest thing to me. I was like, oh my God, I have a publicist? Like, this is hilarious, you know? And <laughs> it's just been really crazy. But like through his work, you know, I've been in House Beautiful and New York Times and Architectural Digest. Like, it's just been insane how it's just kind of blown up. Now, you are doing your own rooms in the show house, too. You're not just doing the logistics and managing. You're actually doing a show house room yourself, right? The original idea was all about getting my name out there, you know, and then it kind of mushroomed into me wanting to help other people. And so I always, from the very beginning, took a room in the show house, which most show house developers tend not to do. So this is awesome because we just recently interviewed Stacey Garcia, and she was telling us, you know, she could not get... A licensing deal when she was younger. She just went out, she hoofed it, she hit the pavement. So she just decided to do it her damn self. She took out a little loan against the house oh, and she wow. did it her damn self and created her own opportunities. And of course, now she's that. a superstar. No, true story. Her episode just aired um, a week or two ago. So that's what this reminds me of. You're making your own opportunities. And I think that's what I love so much about this digital age and this, this modern age. You don't have to wait anymore. You don't have to wait anymore for this magazine or this person to call you to do You can just really yep. create your own room. So, okay. Can I ask my question yet? Before Natalie has a (laughs) stroke, how do you find the venue, the show house, in order to pull something like this off? This is a good story, both year one and year two. So year one, one of the first things that I did when when I had the idea of, okay, you know, for me to really have the kind of impact that I want and to really kind of engage all these people and make this a valuable experience, this has to be a show house. And so I need to find a house. But In the interviewing process, I realized that a lot of people did not know what a design show house was, had never been to a design show house. And it became this whole sort of public education program where I had to teach people what this was, what it looked like, the value that that you get out of it, et cetera. Now, how that relates to finding the house is that I could not find a single person to hand me over their house. Because imagine if you've never seen a design show house and I walk up to you and I say, hey, I need to borrow your house for two months. Not only do you have to leave, but every stick of furniture in your house has to leave. Oh, 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 but it gets better. In addition to that, I'm going to bring in 20 (laughs) random designers that you've never met and they're going to redo your house and you have no say in the matter. You know, that was literally my pitch in year one. And people were like, are you insane? I'm not doing that. (laughs) What could go wrong? So, yeah. So what happened was, you know, I had done sort of a year's worth of market research to kind of test the viability of this idea. I'm originally a business consultant, you know, for like 20 years. And so this is kind of... Right. I read your bio. Yeah. So basically, I kind of followed the same kind of business consultant process where I did like my market research and target audience and all that good stuff. All the boring stuff. Yeah, exactly. So I'd spent a year doing all that research. And once I realized that there was no way anybody was ever going to let me have a house, I had to make the hard decision (laughs) of, okay, I can either wait a whole other year and hopefully I'll find another house, you know, the following year. But you know, when you put things off, who knows if that might ever happen. Or I actually, when I first moved up here four years ago, I had bought a Victorian house, a rental property. And I had bought it because when I moved up here, I didn't know how long it would take for the interior design side of the business to get off the ground. So I wanted some passive income. And so the house had been sitting there empty, beautiful, beautiful house from the mid 1800s. But it had been a rental property. And the owner was more sort of about saving money than fixing it up. So it was just disgusting. You know, it had all of the like, you know, like the gross outdoor carpet that you see? That green turfy carpet? So, yeah. so like that was glued down to like, 
a lot of the hardwood, you know, all sorts of, it was just, it was insane. And so I looked at that house and I was like, okay, I would have a ton of work to do to this house to get this to be a show house, but it was work that I needed to do anyway, because this property was just sitting there. And so I wound up using my house the first year. So, okay. So let me get this straight. I know it's crazy, right? (laughs) I need to let this soak in. Interior designer for four years. Let's start our own show house, showcase my work, and buy my own damn house. (laughs) (laughs) I already had owned the house, I know, but it's still crazy no matter which way you look at it. Still, let's not try to soften this up. Did you get any blowback from the designers that you invited to participate in the show house that, hey, wait, why are we fixing up your house? That's a really good question because, you know, I'm a marketing person, right? I'm a business person. So I always think of all the angles of things. And the minute that I thought about the fact that I was using my house, that was the very first question that came to mind because you could very easily think that this is a ploy for somebody to get all this work because, you know, a show house, you're, you're getting hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of actual stuff, <laughs> yeah, you are. not to mention the services yeah. on top of that. I mean, it's a huge, massive investment. And so I did worry about that. And what I decided to do was to be very clear and very upfront about that in all of my marketing materials and presentations and to really focus on what this was about, that this really was about sort of connecting and beginning to get us to connect as designers and makers. Because by the way, once we do that, we can start supporting each other. Because one of the things that happens in the Hudson Valley is that, you know, we go to the city to find contractors and to find amazing furniture because we don't know who's up here. So I think the more that people understood the value proposition, the more it made it easier to kind of assuage those you know, sort of niggling, like, is this a for real thing? You are, I think, the most brilliant guest we've ever had on the show. <laughs> <laughs> like, literally, like, one of the designers this year came on also as my project manager, and that was her thing. She's like, you can just talk anybody into anything. <laughs> <laughs> Natalie, we're doing a show house at our house. <laughs> no, we're not. Your name is not Marilyn. So you put it out there. Hey, listen, guys, I know this is my house, but how did you decide then what type of charity? Because what are you going to do with the revenue that was brought to that? Who do you give it to? So I did a couple of things. So one of the things that I did was, as you're saying, it's very traditional for show houses to partner with a nonprofit. And I thought that would be a great way to sort of introduce this concept to the community. So I kind of did a very quick and dirty research on that, basically, which amounted to whenever I would speak to people, people who had been living up here for a while, I would say, hey, if we were to partner with a nonprofit, who would you pick? And the name that came up over and over again wound up being the nonprofit that I picked the first year. Oh, that was meant to be. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing that I did, you know, which was really cool, because in the beginning, we had one company, Hudson Valley Lighting, and they're up here in the Hudson Valley. And they came in and very generously said, you know what, we want to donate lighting fixtures to as much of the show house as possible. They have a huge range of various types of lighting fixtures. And so it could accommodate a show house because there's traditional stuff, modern stuff, etc. And so they basically donated about a dozen lighting fixtures to the show house for the various spaces that we did. And, you know, a lot of the kind of companies that we worked with to style the rooms, most of that stuff was just, you know, loaned to us for the duration of the show house. You know, so if if a maker lent us, you know, a dining table, we would return that or a rug. So that's pretty common. But because the lighting fixtures had to be wired and used, they were like, you know what, we're just going to make the investment in your show house. And so I then, I wasn't expecting, you know, to get that. And then the funny thing is that when other companies started seeing that, a lot of them who had previously lent items said, you know what, I'll donate that to the show house too. And then I thought, oh my God, like, what the heck am I going to do now? Like, I didn't expect to have this stuff, you know, because it was not like, I'm just going to keep it and put it in my garage, right? (laughs) And so I decided to do an auction of all the donated items. And then we also gave those proceeds to the nonprofit. Okay, that kind of answered what I wanted to know. But my next question was, I know charities get a little sticky with how do you write things off? How do you say, no, this is for charity? How do you make, you know, Uncle Sam happy on that end? Did the nonprofit provide you with that paperwork or the guidelines to do that? The first year, no. So year one, I was basically a one-woman show doing everything, right? And I was doing it as sort of my side business because I'm actually a working interior designer. So it was kind of crazy. So that didn't happen because I just didn't think to ask. This year, we actually had that conversation with the nonprofit and they provided tax exempt letters 
to the designers who purchased items that then remained in the house. So designers who made those kind of significant investments. So that was cool. Can you give us an example of the kind of traction or exposure that some of the interior designers in year one experience from participating in the show house? Yeah, a couple of good examples, actually. So there was one designer who hooked up with another designer. So, so a designer who participated in the show house, and then a designer who came to the show house. And she had just gotten this really cool project, restoring, oh, I want to say it's like one of the little Rockefeller houses, because there are a bunch of those around, yeah. that's being turned into a hotel, a little boutique hotel. And it was too much for her to handle. And so she really loved the work of that designer. And they kind of, you know, developed a relationship. And then she wound up passing that on to her, um, which was really, really cool. Yeah, yeah, it was great. Also, one of the things, you know, when I decided to do the show house, and I did a lot of things very, very differently than traditional show houses do. In fact, most things are very different that I chose to do because I was really responding to kind of the market needs that is up here. And one of the things that I noticed was that interior designers and makers were not connected, meaning that when it comes time for me to decorate a space, I don't know local furniture designers, lighting designers, etc. And so in year one, I gave as part of my design brief to designers, I said, hey, I want you to partner with a maker from the area. You can use whatever you want in your space, but I want you to choose a maker that you're going to feature their work in some way. And my goal in doing that was to give them a reason to connect and to talk and to work on something together. Because at the end of the day, that's really where the relationship comes from, right? I mean, I always feel that that's more useful than just kind of the networking, you know, going out for a drink sort of thing. Absolutely. So yeah, so one of the things that happened was we had an interior designer who was doing the main hallway. And I paired her up with an illustrator who does these amazing, amazing illustrations. Um, he's, you know, pretty well known in kind of the ad space. He's done like, you know, big ad campaigns for Bombay Sapphire, et cetera. But he also, you know, is a ceramicist. And they together partnered and created wallpaper, which that maker had never, ever done before. And they translated and created this rock and roll themed wallpaper <laughs> that was so amazing. And the great thing is that walking out of the show house, now that maker has a whole new product that he never had before that is now part of his repertoire. So like lots of cool things like that definitely happened. So you're kind of a little matchmaker, an interior design matchmaker. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so let's fast forward a year and let's talk about the second show house. So this year's show house, which, so this was uh, the month of October. Okay. So the show house is open um, the whole month of October. That was in 2019. Yep, yep. Last year's show house. Last year's show house, yeah. <laughs> um, so coming out of the first year's show house and with my newly minted publicist in tow, so we got some press during the show house. But I didn't really meet Andrew until like right before the show house opened, a couple of weeks before. But after the show house, that's when we started getting just a ton of press, national press, regional press, et cetera. So when it came time to doing the second show house, I thought, well, you know, there's a lot of buzz out there. Let me see if I can do a call out to have people submit their homes for the second show house. And, you know, generally show houses, what they do is usually they work with a house that will go on the market after the show house is over, or they work with a developer and they use kind of the, you know, the spec house, but we don't really have that market up here. So that was something I knew I wouldn't be able to get. And so my other thought was, okay, we're in the Hudson Valley. There are amazing historical architecture everywhere. Maybe somebody would just give me their house. (laughs) And so that's what I did. I did a call out on Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And I mean, I couldn't imagine finding the more perfect show house. There was this couple and they owned a huge brick house from the mid 1800s, sort of federal style brick house right in the center of town. So easy to get to. The house is about 4,000 square feet. We wound up using 16 different rooms. So it was like much bigger than the first year. The first year we had 10 spaces. So -hmm. we had 16 spaces this year and it was spread out over three floors. It was literally, you couldn't imagine a better setup for a show house because it basically is like a little townhouse. So there are individual rooms. So people could kind of have their own individual spaces, the designers, and, and they didn't bleed into each other. Oh, perfect. And quite a few people submitted. I can't remember, probably got a dozen submissions. But the big thing that kind of knocked a lot of people out was the fact that we needed to have the house for the entire month of September, because that was when the designers were coming in, and then for the entire month of October, which when the show house was open. So that was a big ask, and most people could not do that. 
turns out this family homeschools their kids. And so they don't need to specifically be in the area and they have family in the area. So they were able to say, okay, we can decamp because we don't need to be in any school district. And so it just kind of worked out in a lot of different ways. What is in it for the actual homeowner who's submitting their home or just to get a, a newly renovated, super high-end design show house, house at the end? Or is there any kind of monetary trade-off there? Or what do they get from it? For most people, it's really about you know, the stuff that remains. So if you think about okay. a show house, starting right outside in the exterior, there's landscaping. Anything that's permanently installed, that becomes part of what the show house owner gets. And so cool. landscaping, you know, wallpaper, all new paint, obviously, etc. The big ticket item is the kitchen. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. You want to come over? <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, that alone <laughs> is probably worth, I mean, most everything. So they originally had like a little basic Ikea kitchen. But this house on the ground floor had better than 12 foot high ceilings. And they have six children. So storage was huge for them. And we had a designer, who, Elizabeth from Mercer Interior. She was amazing. And she came in and did custom cabinetry all the way to the ceiling and did the rolling library ladder. I mean, this kitchen was just beyond amazing. Wow. So yeah, so, so you know, coming out of that, they got this amazing house that was redone almost top to bottom. But on top of that, the year before, and this is the reason why they wanted to participate, the year before, they had started an Airbnb business in part of their house. And so coming out of the show house, just a ton of press that they got. You know, yeah, oh my gosh, like, you know, in House Beautiful and, you know, regional, you know, regional magazines in the Hudson yes. Valley area, you know, and they also got professional photography because we had everything professionally photographed. So they got a bank of sort of marketing dollars from that for sure. They made out like bandits. Yeah, you know, I, you know, <laughs> I really hope that they, you know, kind of use all that marketing material that they got. I'm yeah, sure. for sure. Natalie and Giraffe. Yes, Darla Jethro Powell. Who is our go-to vendor for Darla Powell Interiors? Oh, that's easy. Curry and Company. And why is that, Natalie? Oh, because let me tell you, they have beautiful stuff. They are every designer's and, of course, project manager. That's me. Dream to work with. <laughs> because did you know that over 90% of their stuff is in stock? That's like 1,700 SKUs at all times. I did. And Curry and Company has top-notch service, quick shipping, and very reasonable order minimums, which is really important, if, especially if you're a hashtag baby designer. Absolutely. I know you guys go to them first. Say, hey, we're going to hit Curry and Company. What do they got? How can they help us? It's amazing. So Darla, where do they have to run on over to? That's right. So guys, be sure to head on over to curryandcompany.com and scroll your little fingers on down to that designer checkbox and sign up for their stellar trade program today. Oh, and be sure to tell Beth Ann that we sent you. She's amazing. I love Beth Ann. She's a fireball. I wish I had her energy. Again, that's KoreanCompany.com. You can thank us later. Now, the homeowners don't have any say, though, in the aesthetic, right? Is it pretty much anything goes or do you guys establish a parameter or is it does it depend on the homeowner? You know, the first year as an interior designer, I said, you know what? I don't care. You guys do whatever you want. Because, you know, my scope for design is pretty broad. And so I was like, that's fine. Right. Walking into using a regular individual space, I thought about that and I thought, you know, maybe I should really think about this because most people might not be comfortable with that. So what I explained to the homeowners is that we were using some of their Airbnb spaces and we were using some of their private spaces like the kitchen, for example. And mm -hmm. what I said was for the Airbnb spaces, since you have a need for this to be an experience for your guests... I want to have the designers to have free reign because that will actually be to your benefit. And I said, for the private spaces, though the designers are not clients, like you're not a client of, of the interior designers, it's a show house, what we will do is they still need to showcase their sort of design. But we kind of focus on a couple of key things that the homeowners hated. You know, it's so like, for example, nobody <laughs> can use the color purple. You know what I mean? Like sort of like oh, key kind mean. of stuff yeah. like that. So they had a little bit of a say because we okay. didn't want them to, at the end of the process, like have to yeah. redo, you know what I mean? Because the whole point is meant to be enriching. Sure. And so that's kind of how we did it, you know, and that we're okay with that. 
That makes sense. So you recommend just kind of playing it by ear and by the circumstance. And because that is a different situation, like you said, some of it was Airbnb, some of it was private. That seems like a very good solution. Um, Marilyn, you did talk about the first show house being a one woman show and you basically pulling off the whole damn thing by yourself. Let's talk a little bit about the legal issues. I'm sure there had to be some agreements, some contracts, and especially now going forward using other people's homes. There has to be like a lot of liability put in place, a lot of insurance, a lot of that kind of thing. What just briefly, what would you recommend if someone like Natalie, <laughs> where she's super interested in this, <laughs> really wanted to move forward with doing a show house for her charity? I mean, obviously, there are lots of different ways to approach this. But for me, because I was the only person doing everything, I chose kind of the easiest way. And what I mean by that is I had two sets of contracts. I had one set of contracts for the interior designers the ones responsible for designing and owning the space. And then I had another contract for all of the lenders, vendors, makers, you know, people who were either donating or lending things because they just basically had different requirements, right? And then after that, I decided that all of the insurance, all the liability, I would push back on the participants because, you know, I had to prioritize what I could actually do and accomplish. And that was something that I just didn't want to. And thank goodness, you know, the designers and the makers and all the participants, they were happy to do that because the contracts were very clear and they understood the value of participating. And so they were okay with that. I love that. So what kind of attorney would you go to to draw up something like that? I mean, me, I would just do rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> just a regular contract attorney. What, where, where would you go? And I'm asking for your friend, Natalie. I basically sort of crafted it myself because I sort of put myself... Of course you did. I, I, I know, I know, I know, I know it's bad. Uh, <laughs> well, you know what? H having said that, I actually, you know, my dad's a lawyer, my grandfather's a lawyer, et cetera. Ah, okay. So I did draft it myself and just basically just trying to, to be really clear about if I were an interior designer, what would I need to have secured for my participation, right? So I sure. added all that stuff in, you know, meaning a commitment for X amount of PR, a commitment for the house being available to me to come in at X amount of time, et cetera. And then what would I need as a show house developer in terms of my needs? For me, those things were, you have to commit to, to being there on opening weekend every single day. You are responsible for everything for the entire month of October if it's broken etc. You deal with the maker because you're the one who borrowed it. You know what I mean? Like all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Of course. And then I actually have a couple of friends who are lawyers. So I had, you know, them review it. And I think it's easy to tell that it's a contract not drawn by a lawyer because it doesn't have all that legalese. Like it's just really very clear and very simple. Right. And I actually think, Plainly. yeah, and I think that actually helped. I think that if it had been more corporate year one, I think I would have had more of an issue because it's such a brand new thing to people. And when it's such a brand new thing to people, the more complex you make it, the more, you know, sort of scared the whole experience becomes. And I think that because it was very kind of, here it is, it's very clean, it's very simple, it's very clear, people were like, oh, okay, I can do this. Yeah, it's less intimidating. Just a quick aside, I think that's the way that some of these legal documents, especially for the interior design industry, are going. They're staring more to plain speak, so it's not, you know, I think they're written at a fifth or sixth grade level, and I'm not saying that to be funny. I think that really is the the level, the goal <laughs> that they're writing them at, So, and that seems to work out really well. Natalie had a question. I do, because, you know, I know Darla very well. <laughs> <laughs> so what type of financial commitment did it take on your part to put together a show house? That's a, that's a yeah, big that's question. Yeah, that's a good one. And, and, and this is like, the part that I'm not going to let my partner <laughs> listen to. So I have my own company, Demore Drake. And so I run the interior design sure. side of the business. And my partner, who's a 50% partner, runs the construction side of the business. So he builds the houses and I do the interiors. And, you know, I didn't know what it took to do a show house. I didn't know anything about anything. <laughs> and it turns out it's really hard to find a lot of information about show houses in terms of, you know, the organization and how you structure it and how you run it. Because I guess those things are best practices and they're kind of people own those things, right? It's their competitive advantage or whatnot. And so I couldn't find a lot of like research. And so Year one, because it was an idea that nobody had ever heard of, I kind of decided that the main sort of thing, or not the main thing, but one of the key ways that show houses make money is the entrance fee, the participation fee. And I did not do that at all. Year one, it was zero because I didn't know what kind of a deterrent that would be to people participating in something they'd never heard of before or never seen in some cases. And so this year, we actually did charge a participation fee. 
But what that meant was all of the admin, you know, the printing of the posters and all that stuff, I basically had to come out of pocket. You know, I had a budget going into it, but year one, to be honest, the budget wound up being more about fixing up the house so it could be presentable to even be used as as a show house, right? Because I was using that rental property. Oh, true. So a lot of my budget wound up going there, meaning meaning like needed a new roof, needed a new front porch, et cetera, et cetera, all that stuff. Because they're not going to do structural things. You have to keep it. You have to make it structurally sound. It should only be cosmetic. It's a good thing your partner's in. Oh, my God. Can I tell you? This show house would have never have happened if it wasn't for him. Because... Oh my God, it was beyond amazing because that would have been services I would have had to pay for, you know, out of pocket. But don't you still pay for them? I mean, yeah, of course. But, you know, <laughs> but I felt better about it, you know? <laughs> it felt better in a way to be like, oh, okay, this is just us doing it. No big deal. So you changed things up a little bit about the second year. And I'm assuming now we're going to have a third year. Is yes. That correct? Yes. Okay. So would you say the way you have you think about things a little bit differently now on this third year, even though you're still doing all this connecting, are you still solely focusing on connecting? Or are you going to put more effort maybe into the charitable side a little more and, and try to give back a little more that way? Or is this still all about let's try to give a connection and then we'll give what's left to charity kind of thing? That's a good question. Everybody talks about the Kingston Design Show House because it's the thing that you can see and go to and it's, you know, kind of fun. But from the very beginning, my idea was to really start a program. And the show house was always one piece of the program, though the biggest piece, right? Because it occurred to me once I decided that I really wanted to use to create a vehicle for all these folks in the design build industry across the Hudson Valley to connect that a show house that lasts for a month wouldn't do all of that. Like it would be useful for the people who participated, but no one else, but also not a throughout the year thing. It would just be sort of a, you know, very limited kind of time scope to do that. And so it was always about creating a larger program for me. So in year one, it was, we just did the show house. So I guess I should say I, I just did the show house. Last year, in addition to the show house, I decided to also participate in or develop little mini sort of design installations. So kind of a smaller baby version of a show house, just like a room. So I had the opportunity to participate in um, Diffa Dining. It's a dining installation that Architectural Digest does as part of their annual design show every year. So they invited me to come down to the city. And what I pitched to them was to basically And this was before the show house happened. The show house was in October. This happened in April. So I did sort of a mini what the show house would be. I engaged about 15 participants. So I was a designer, 15 different makers and artists. And I kind of trucked down to New York City, all these pieces, and we created a dining room, me and my design partner. And so that was a way to begin to kind of showcase what that looks like, but in a smaller sort of format. And then over the summer, I did a design installation, a garden room at the Rhinebeck Craft Fair. Rhinebeck is a town up here in the area, and every year they do a big summer craft fair. And so the idea was to begin to do little sort of design installations that would give people more opportunities to participate, but also have it move around. Because, of course, the Kingston Design Show House is in Kingston, but to be able to seed other areas and show people you know, because not everybody, of course, across the Hudson Valley comes to the show house. So we did that. And then this year, 2020, one of the things that we're looking forward to doing, and I'm starting to have preliminary conversations with a potential partner about this, is to have a searchable database of design build professionals in the Hudson Valley. You know, and it's something that was in the back of my head to do this year, but I could, you know, the show house just doubled in size, doubled in scope. So I couldn't do it this year. But coming out of year one and year two, I have a list of, I don't know, three, 400 designers, makers, et cetera, all Hudson Valley based, but also, which I think is important, these are vetted professionals, meaning they had to apply. We reviewed their portfolio to be part of the show house. We've seen their work in person. I've seen their work on site. And I think to be able to take all of that and make it available to the public, you know, that's what people are always looking for. It's, you know, how do I find the right contractor? How do I find the right designer? And, you know, how do you know? And so I think to have an interior design company's stamp or interior designer's stamp of here is 
a list of professionals in your area that we can show you samples of their work. You can come see their work, et cetera. Marilyn, this is brilliant. This is brilliant all the way around. You're hitting it from every angle. Is the 2020 show house also going to be in October? Yes. Yeah. So, so, so October seems to be a good month. So we keep keeping to that. Okay, I'm going to clear my calendar. (laughs) Awesome. Yay. (laughs) How did I know that was coming? Awesome. (laughs) So I have one more question, I think, before we wrap it up and get into the What Up Wingnut round. And that is, are you only allowing designers and build firms in the Hudson Valley area participate? Or are you going to be willing to open it up to, say, a designer who lives in Miami? Who lives in, not Miami. (laughs) No, darling. No, darling. (laughs) But I'm just saying, you know, what about someone that lives in... In Jersey, what about someone that lives in Connecticut? Miami. <clears throat> Palm Beach. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought that up. Miami. Hush, Darla. Because, you know, so the first year, it was all about sort of connecting people across the Hudson Valley. So it was 100% Hudson Valley participants. This year, I decided to kind of open it up to the tri-state area. And I did that for a very specific sort of economic development reason. Because more and more designers and makers are moving up here. And while there is work up here for designers and makers, at a certain point, there's going to be a saturation because, I mean, there's really such a massive population of people up here now in the design build industry. And it occurred to me that a lot of these people don't have connections to New York City, which is a big design market, especially since New York City folks are buying second homes here and third homes here, et cetera. So I opened it up. I think we did like out of 16, no, 17 designers We had three from New York City. And the idea was for me to begin to kind of see those connecting points. And so we did that this year. And I don't see why that can't continue to grow. I think the more we give people opportunity to kind of see Hudson Valley design and the more we connect with other people, what could be bad about that? (laughs) Absolutely. And I think you should broaden. And I think that's just a natural progression of, you know, as the show house grows and you're still staying true to the original vision. You know, you're just broadening it out with the makers, and now it's in the tri-state area. Then it's in Miami. Exactly. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, you can just cancel Miami right out of that. Maryland. One one last question before I give you the what up wing nut questions is: if you had one thing to do over again, or one mistake that you made that you could advise the wing nuts listening to avoid, what would that be? If I think about this year, I think that. This year, I paid a lot more attention to really making sure that the designers were talking to each other and working together, meaning that across rooms, right? And I think that one of the ways that that kind of revealed itself that that was something that needed to happen was in year one, I didn't have an opening night party. And the reason why I didn't was because what are you kidding me? I just put together a show house with a hundred people. I don't have time. You know, the last thing I was thinking about was like having an opening night party. And so I didn't do it. And then the second weekend of the show house, a couple of designers came to me and said, Hey, Marilyn, would you mind if we had a little party and and invited some friends and family? And I was like, sure. I said, as long as I don't have to do it, go right ahead. (laughs) And so they all pitched in and, you know, there was like, you know, maybe a hundred people and everybody had a great time. And, you know, a bunch of various folks came, et cetera, et cetera. This year, we actually planned to do that. And as a result, this year, we had like 250 people. We had tons of media showing up and the buzz that that created was huge. So I think kind of the big takeaway for me was that not just to focus on the organizational stuff, like the stuff that you need to make it happen, but there has to be just as much attention paid to kind of, you know, just the big splashy celebration type stuff, because that's really, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things that people are doing there. 250 people is a party. (laughs) It was insane. We actually had, at a certain point, I had to close the invitation list. I mean, we had no idea that many people were coming. I mean, we had no clue. Yeah, I mean, the whole show house this year just blew our minds, just the level of people I've told the listeners before, I don't know if they have new listeners to the podcast, that show houses for me is like Christmas. I love nothing more than going into a show house. It's the best. I love to see all the different rooms and the designs. I just walk through and get lost and Natalie yawns. But I love it. Natalie, do you have any more questions before we get up into the what up wing around? I have no more questions. And if I do, I know where to find her. <laughs> oh, yeah. By the way, you know now that you are on the hotline for Natalie. If she has any questions about. You know what? It has been the crappiest. It feels like winter is getting worse every year in the Hudson Valley. So, yeah, you, you can get me down to Miami. No problem. 
<laughs> there you go, Natalie. I have a guest house I can move into, and mm-hmm. you can just knock yourself out. <laughs> I want Let's see. I want a chef's kitchen. Let's see what else. <laughs> or now who's dreaming. So now, Marilyn, I have to ask you if you're ready for the What Up Wingnut round. Yes, absolutely. Now it's time for What Up Wingnut. Wingnut. Marilyn Damore, if you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be and why? I actually, the first thing that came to mind was a willow tree. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I, I did a lot of dancing when I was younger, but I love to watch them like sway in the breeze. And that kind of reminded me of that. I love that. And I love the reason behind it. That's I think that's the first willow tree dancer connection that we've had. What would the hashtag on your tombstone be? This is such a funny question. Um, <laughs> so I think my hashtag would be hashtag try it all. And the reason why I say that is because I've been that person all my life that's just tried out lots of different professions. So I was a PR professional for a long time. And then I became a waitress slash actress. I've been a fashion stylist. I owned a catering company. Like I'm just one of those people that when something interests me, I'm just like, oh, let me go try that. So I think try it all. We're going to be sure to have you back on when you're an astronaut. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) If you could have only one superpower, what would it be and why? I was a big fan of Wonder Woman when I I was growing up. And do you know her lasso of truth? Yes. Like that was the thing I remember loving every time she wound up using that. And I actually looked it up once because I was like dressing as Wonder Woman for some Halloween thing. Sure, that's the reason. Yeah. Uh And it turns out that the lasso of truth, which I love the story, was created by the guy who invented the lie detector. And his whole thing was that he created this, the lasso of truth, as a way to like allude to a woman's charm. So I thought that was really cool. I've never heard that, but I'm a huge comic book geek, and that's a first for me. That's that's really super cool. A little bit of empowerment. Yeah, I love that. And last but not least, please recommend a book that has had a profound effect on you, either personally or professionally. This isn't a book, it's more of an author, but I've read all of her books. So I read Jane Austen for the first time in high school, and I've since read all of her books. But that started this huge love affair that I still have with all things English country houses. So I know like tons about the history and the architecture, and I love, love, love the interior design. And in fact, I've been told that sort of my design style, I mean, I can't see it, but other people say this to me, <laughs> that it's like a mix of English country and Caribbean, because I'm from Haiti. So sure. I guess I, I bring that into it. So Jane Austen. <laughs> I love that. And I love the story behind it. You're just an amazing, inspirational. I don't really catch the uh, the Haitian accent at all. There's no, there isn't. I know. I was thinking more Jamaican, but Wow. Okay, Natalie. I know. I just had a moment. Sorry. (laughs) I love listening to her. She's just so easy to listen to. I would have never, never even put that together. Yeah, you have a great voice, by the way. You know what? I've been told for years that I should be doing voiceovers. It's really funny, especially because English is my second language. So it kind of makes me laugh that people always say that to me. Oh, it is your second language. Yeah, she speaks Creole. She's from Haiti. Okay, so Natalie wasn't too far off base. No, I was not far off base. (laughs) Marilyn, thank you so much for giving us all these nuggets of wisdom on show houses. Natalie is actually taking notes uh, for this episode. (laughs) Please tell the Wingnuts listening where they can go to learn more about your show house and about you and your design firm, besides going to our show notes at wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. Absolutely. So to learn more about the show house, you can go to kingstondesignconnection.com. And it's the same address on Instagram as well as Facebook. And then demoredrake.com and that's our company site that's where you can go to see examples of our interior design work as well as building work awesome marilyn thank you again and uh get ready for that call from natalie when she calls yeah no you guys were great this has been so enjoyable thank you so much what a fun hour (laughs) natalie showhouse graph oh i don't think i like that melanie how impressive is marilyn demore future astronaut she was very impressive. I, I will have to give it to her. She she wanted something and she went out and got it. And that's that's just amazing. And the fact that she was able to do it with a purpose to where it wasn't so self-serving because she connected how many people in the Hudson Valley area. She's like the matchmaker. I have to point out that she is someone that just says, do it. She is a woman of action. She could have sat around. She could have thought about it. What if? What if this? But she just went out and freaking did it. She's been an interior designer for four Years, But the fact that she was okay with the fact that, hey, listen, guys, I know this is my home. 
but <laughs> this is what I'm doing it for. I mean, that's impressive. That's ballsy. It, it, right? I was gonna try, and I was trying not to say that, darling. You're such a prude. But, but yes, I would. That is just so impressive. But but also, it worked for her because her say. her business, her other part of her business is construction. So she was able to get the outside and the exterior fixed like it needed to, and whatever needed to be done on the inside. And then she let them run with it. Brilliance on steroids. Yes, so it is. good. Did she give you information and ideas for your little? thing that for, you're cooking up for, in your for head? For my little cooking up? Yeah, that's going to be on the back burner mm-hmm. on simmer. Yeah, no simmer. That's a simmer. It's a simmer. Sure. It's a slow Well, hopefully simmer. that, hopefully the wingnut's it's also. It's like a crock pot. <laughs> Ooh, not the exploding kind. Oh, wait, no, no the, that's, that's a, a pressure, pressure cooker. cooker. Hopefully the wingnuts listening also got some healthy takeaway nuggets for their show house aspirations. They're just crazy expensive, but crazy valuable. I really like the idea of having them do my house. <laughs> Too. I was thinking, hmm, we Except could get some I, landscape lighting. Landscape I would say architect. no purple. For the love of God, I hate purple. Isn't that bad? I really do. It's just purple. Like the Vikings uniforms. <laughs> Vikings. <laughs> okay, guys, I think that's it for today. Please head on out to PodFest or to the Risa Talk in Coral Gables here in Miami, Florida. You can check out all that lovely info at the show notes at wingnutsocial.com slash podcast. You can search Marilyn and it'll just pop up, but it should be there on the front page if you're listening to this on the day of or recent And if you need help with your social media marketing for your interior design firm, give us a call at 1-877-WINGNUT. We are here to help you get your face out there, get visible to your ideal clients and make some Benjamins and get the attention of people like Marilyn to get invited to be in a whatnot. Show house. Show house. Show house. Show house. That's it for today, Nat. Got anything else? Nope. So long. See ya. Thanks for joining us today. Be sure to tune in next week for more business and marketing info and insightful interviews with industry experts and design superstars. Can't wait? Then head on over to wingnutsocial.com for more great content to help you get your business to the next level. And she screws it up right off the bat. I don't know. She's having a really bad game, Jerry. What do you think? Well, you know, she's always played well in the past, but today I think she's struggling just a bit. You know, I love to go to the Catskills in the summer. Have you been drinking? Oh, that's not my phone. Damn, it's four o'clock. Let me tell you, I've been working all day on this podcast. When I woke up at 10 o'clock, I had to do one, and now I look at my watch, and it's four o'clock. Where does the time go? I don't know, Ethel. It just flies by the older we get. Good boy, Mango.